take a book of the Bible, Daniel, and seek Jesus' Spirit's help in understanding it and applying it to our lives. Luke 18.8, consider carefully how you listen. Consider carefully how you listen. Peter, if you go into my laptop case at the back there, next to my coat, in one of the pockets are my glasses. It will be helpful. Thank you very much. Look, we began last week. Uh, we're working through a little booklet by Christopher Ash. Uh, listen up. Listen up. And he just really uh, explains what we, I guess we take for granted. Thank you very much, young man. That we just imagine we know how to listen. And I want to suggest, friends, the Bible demands a certain manner of listening unlike any other thing. Listening is important. Remember, I, was, I think I was about 15. I was about to go to my first Christian conference and just had my hair cut so I could look trendy. Yeah, David, you're thinking, Montez, no matter what you do, you won't look trendy. Yeah, thank you. Okay, don't speak to me again. Right. Uh, I, I stepped out of the barbers, hairdressers, and I normally use my ears for listening for traffic. I don't know where I was at this moment, and I walked straight out into the road, got run over. Really? Got carried along on someone's bonnet, free ride? Yeah, he even dropped me off. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, he had a, this is no joke, he had a huge dent in his bumper. And I was late for something, and I just said, goodbye, mate, I've got to go, and just went. <laughs> and I'm still here to this day. But hey, I got run over, uh, watch this, Zach, because I wasn't... Well, I wasn't looking, but I wasn't particularly listening. Listening, we said last time, is absolutely crucial. And here's something really serious. The way we listen to the Bible preached will ultimately determine where we are in eternity. It's that serious. It's that serious. So we started last week, number one, we're point number one. If I could just have it up on the screen, thank you. Expect God to speak. Look, God looks nothing like me, okay? But he speaks through scriptures. And when a preacher handles those scriptures faithfully, and that's a key word there, okay, there are many people who handle the scriptures. But when a preacher handles the scriptures faithfully, it's God that we're hearing. And so that it requires a certain response, a reverence and awe for that. Number two, admit that God knows better than you. Look, it's a reality. We hardly know ourselves. But Jesus knows us. And so the word will speak to our hearts. Expect that today. And with all that as, as the foundation, number three, a really crucial point, check the preacher says what the preach what the passage says. Look, I listen to a lot of sermons from every genre and from every from extreme health, wealth, and prosperity preachers because I want to get rich. <laughs> I know. Now because I want to see what they're saying. Right. Two real conservative sound Bible preachers and everything in between. And there's some really, really dodgy people out there. And by that I mean some really dangerous people. 
And everything in between, check your pastor. Look, here's another license. If your pastor is not teaching what the Bible says, ask him to explain himself. And if it continues, sack him. Do you use that term here, sack? Fire him. Check, take a Bible, open it, explore what he says. I'm going to recommend a couple of books next week that will help you do that. Make sure the preacher says what the Bible says. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm not even here to tell you the next quick fix for your predicament. My sole job is to communicate Jesus' word to you. Not what I think you need, not what I want to say to you, not what tickles my interest, but to faithfully, and what a task, and who's sufficient for these things, to faithfully communicate what Jesus wants to say to you. Because here's the reality, the only person you need to hear from this morning, right now, is Jesus. Really? I haven't got anything of any value to say to you today or ever. It's Jesus. Make sure I'm speaking to you the words of Jesus faithfully. Challenge me if that is not taking place at Rivergate Christian Community. So let's move on. Number four then. Today's three... Mm can't drink water properly. Today's three final concluding points. Aim to hear the sermon when gathered as a church. It's a really important point. Deuteronomy 4, 10, God asks this of Moses, assemble the people before me to hear my words. We are, in in the the Greek New Testament, uh, where we we are an assembly, we are a gathered people. Uh, we are, the word is ecclesia. We are a gathered community. This is where he comes from. God calls Moses to gather people into a community so that he may speak to them. Look, we haven't got time in half an hour to work out all the, uh, all the nuances, but this is a theme that's powerfully running through Scripture that the Bible is given. Hey, let me ask you, how long have we had Bibles in our hands? Yeah. It wasn't all that long ago, was it, Pamela? No, 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 no. No, so so either God was really neglecting his church for, what, 16, 1700 years and all the thousands of years before, or the primary means through which we get Jesus' word to our heart is not by reading the Bible. Otherwise, I want to know why Jesus didn't send us a printing press earlier. The primary means by which we hear Jesus speak to us is not by reading the Bible. That is a good thing to do. It's a contemporary privilege but not a substitute. What is the primary means that Jesus has been speaking to his people and the God of the Old Testament, the same Jesus, since the beginning? It's through preaching to a gathered people. 
It's God's design for you and I to receive his word through this primary means. And every other source of accessing God's word that we have accessibility to is a secondary, lesser form. You cannot beat what we're doing here right now. There's no parallel. Not because I'm doing it. That's certainly not why. But because this is God's ordained means for doing it. We're going to have my little helper. Well, she's not so little. A young lady over there, uh, Mirella. And she's going to tell us about Hamsa and Gareth. Thank you, Mirella. Hamsa is an avid sermon listener. She has hundreds of downloads on her iPod from famous preachers all over the world. She listens to them on the bus, on the train, while washing up, while going to sleep. She has clocked up hundreds of hours of solo listening. She's not in church very often these days because she can get sermons that are so much better from the internet. Gareth isn't always so keen to hear the sermon. Sometimes his attention wanders, but he's generally there, week by week, in his home church, listening to his own pastoral leaders. Okay, he thinks, they're not as eloquent as the preaching superstars, but they are the ones who know me. He has a feeling that they pray for him. When he shakes their hand, they have a real interest in him. He'd rather listen to them preach. Sorry. He'd rather listen to them preach him the word of God. Thank you, Marella. Today's technology is doing both great service to the church and injury. An MP3 download is not a substitute for church. It will never be a substitute for church. God calls for his people to be assembled, he tells Moses in Deuteronomy. In Nehemiah, exactly the same thing as all the people assembled. We're meant to be together. Look, look, we know, don't we, and this is one of the lovely things about Rivergate, that this is not a church, is it? That's why we are not attached to it. Look, if you're attached to this building, God help you. Okay, we're not attached to this location, to this place. It's just a building. What is the church? Where's the church? It's you. And, and it's, not just, it's not just Jerry as an individual. The church is the gathered community. And that's the context in which the God speaks to his people. Here's what Ash says, Christopher Ash. We may even say that preaching is properly done only when the people of God in a local church gather. When we listen to an MP3 recording of a sermon, we are not listening to preaching, but to an echo of preaching that happened in the past. MP3 or sermon CDs or even books will never be a substitute for listening. Christian, can I encourage us? And I know you do it because you're here and you were here last week too. Aim to hear the sermon when we're gathered as a church. I, I, there's a lot more on that, but I'll, I'll move on. Move on to the next point, if I may. Just skip a couple of slides for me, Denise. Number five. Endeavor to be a church every week. 
it goes without saying, if, if this is the place where we're, where we're to hear God speak, then, duh, <laughs> then we need to be here to hear God speak. Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Or in contemporary NIV, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's hear about Indira and Jake. Thanks, Marilla. Is the battery gone? No, you're live. Indira had some terrific sermon experiences. There have been times when the sermon has really scratched where she was itching. Times when she can testify that God has spoken to her so clearly and strongly. She can tell some great stories of times when her life was changed for the better by Bible preaching. But she's only in church about one week in three. Sometimes she's away for the weekend. Sometimes she just stays at home. After all, she reasons, so often when she goes to church, the sermon just reminds her of something she already knows. Jake is there for the sermon week by week. If you go to his church and he's not there, it usually means he's sick. He's, n- he's not been a Christian as long as Indira. He doesn't know his Bible as well, but he's growing a lot faster as a Christian. He knows he has a short memory and he needs lots of reminding. It doesn't trouble him to hear what he's heard before. He develops the habit of just being there week by week and letting the Bible message soak in again and again. Thank you, Jake. Maybe the more immature in years as a Christian of the two, but he's the one who will grow Christ-like year by year. Let us not give up meeting together. Look, in the final point, just coming up shortly, we're going to talk about the urgency of obeying God's word that it has to be today. But here's a reality. What we hear today may not be specific to what I feel I need to hear. It's great as a preacher. Look, sometimes people say to me after the service, look, that was just the word I needed. And that's really encouraging. It's great. But the reality is, the preacher will not every week speak the word that we feel we need or that we've, we've looked for. It's a reality of the Bible, and I think it's important, and here's a challenge, that we're not coming to church treating God's word as some kind of genie in a bottle. You know, you know how it works? You come in, as long as you rub him the right way, he will give you your answer and meet your need, and you go away sorted. The Bible, we don't approach the Bible like that. Well, we're not here, I hope. And I'm sure it's not the case. Because look, there's something I need to hear. And so I'm coming to church because I want to hear that. The preaching won't always tickle where we fancy. Always scratch where we itch. But it'll always be the word that God wants us to hear. You see, it's a bit like this. Uh, what's the conditions or terms that we gather every week? Is it that I want God to give me the word I need for that week? The word I believe I need? Well, have I come here because I actually want to hear 
what God has to say. And there's a difference, you see, between wanting to hear what God has to say and wanting to hear what I want to hear or what I need to hear and what's on my mind this week. He's not a genie. We can't command him to tell us what we want to hear. Rather, he commands us to hear what he wants to say. That requires humility, doesn't it? It requires us saying, look, look, I'm not coming here just to have my personal perceived needs met. I'm coming here to have the needs met that God perceives are necessary. I'm coming here to humbly submit myself to what Jesus wants to say to me, not what Jesus, what I think Jesus ought to say to me. There are no quick fixes when we come to the Bible, but the, it's rather the word shaping us according to Jesus' design. Um, Mrs. Bishop, here Debbie, which is telling us about Bruce's son. Bruce's, uh, what's? Bailey. Bailey, 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 Brett, uh, uh, Brenton. Oh, is it Brett? Yeah. Brett, Brett's son. Hey, look. A real, real challenging scenario. Praise God that the doctors have got to the bottom of that situation and given them some help. But you imagine when you go to the doctor and look, uh, your, your leg may be hurting down there. And if the doctor merely treated that pain and sent you away, it's very likely you won't be walking for long. Because the, the reality may be that your body is exhibiting pain down there because there's a real serious issue there or there. And so a good GP, when you go with your pain in the leg or your pain, whatever else it may be, he will examine you thoroughly and get to the bottom of the issue. And you probably discover, friends, isn't this true, that the source of your issue is nowhere near the pain. Yeah? We must make sure we don't treat Jesus and church in that way. Look, I've come and my leg's hurting and my leg needs sorting and Jesus, give me a word for my leg. Because Jesus just may want to deal with the root of our issue and the root of our problem. And here's the reality. When he does deal with the root of our issue, the pain goes too. He deals with the whole body. His word is shaping us. It penetrates and he reaches every area of our lives. He won't do this instantly. And here's a reality. There aren't any instant fixes on Sunday. As we work through Daniel, here's one reality I can tell you right, right now. It won't always scratch where you're itching. It won't. But this it will do. It will slowly and consistently and regularly shape your life in such a way that every itch is finally dealt with. It will. It will speak to every area of our lives. It's why in Acts 2, every day they continue to meet together. Why? Because they wanted to hear and they knew that the preaching of God's word dealt, deals with us incrementally. And not only incrementally, but repetitively. Hey, look, if you think I'm boring already, it's going to get even worse because I repeat myself over and over and over again. Not because I'm a parrot. 
but because if you're anything like me, you leak. It's what Peter says to his hearers. Listen to this. He says, 1 Peter 2, 1, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them, and are firmly establishing them. Do you hear that? If you're thinking, what is this guy from another country in the world telling us what we know? It's because it's what Peter did. You hear what he's saying? I will always remind you of these things, uh, even though you know them, and even though you're firmly establishing them. And I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as, as I live in this tent of this body. Look, I'm not going to blow you away every week. I probably am I'm blowing you away right now. All you'll get from me, I should have told you this before you employed me, all you'll get from me is the Bible consistently and regularly preached. I can't target, and I dare not target your pain. I can only deliver to you that material, week by week by week. But it is, I want to suggest to you, friends, exactly what we need week by week by week. Ash writes, if we are taken through the teaching of the Bible by patient exposition, gradually Christ-likeness is worked in our characters, in our affections, in our desires, in our decisions, and in our lives. It won't always be wonderful, but it'll always be what you and I need. It'll always be what Jesus wants to say to us. It's a matter of do I want to hear what Jesus wants to say or do I want to hear what I want to say? What I want. I mean, Debbie's been in teaching. You know about this, Debbie. You must have him in school. You know, you're trying to teach a lesson and you've got some kid, right? Miss, miss, miss. He doesn't want to hear what you've got to say, Debbie. What does he want? What he wants? Miss, 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 miss. Let's not treat Jesus like that. Let's listen. Let's listen. Because the thing he's got to say is far weightier than the answers that I think I need. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And here's a challenge. I don't know if you know. Does anyone know the context of Hebrews? Um, he's writing to a people and what's happened to these people? Does anybody know it's a big P word? They are being persecuted, right? To the point whereby if they get found out that they are gathering to hear the Bible, that they will get apprehended, imprisoned, and possibly, possibly thrown to lions. Seriously. Now, you would imagine, wouldn't you? I would imagine that a caring, loving pastor would say to his flock in that environment, look, look, look. Jingo, Jingo, Jingo. Look, Jingo. It's too dangerous. Stay at home this week. Okay, here's a couple of passages I've written for you. Read that. You'd think he would say that, wouldn't you? You'd think that he'd be mindful of the dangers and say to the church, stay at home next week. But instead to a group of people who are taking their lives in their hands by going to a gathered community, he says to them, don't you dare stop. Don't you dare. 
Some are doing it. But I'm telling you, never stop gathering as a church, even if it will cost you your life. And here's the reality, 2 Corinthians 5. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may receive what is due to him uh, for the things he's done in the body. That is not speaking generally about the unconverted standing before Jesus. That, I'm convinced, is being to Christians standing before him, not to be judged for our sins and where we'll be in eternity, but to be judged for our lives and where we'll be in heaven. The point I'm just simply trying to make Christians is we will answer for our conduct as Christians. Look, I come across this all the time in churches. We imagine, don't we, and I've done it, and I'm sure you've done it. Look, I'm in now. I've got my ticket. I'm in. You know, I, I said that prayer. I, I, and, I, and I dunk myself or let somebody else dunk me in that water. I'm in. You know, and I'm just going to get along now, and I'm going to have bad days and good days, but who really cares? I'm in. It really isn't that simple. Jesus will demand that we give an accounting for how we have lived the Christian life. And if we're hardly or irregularly in church, we'll hardly be able to give a proper account to Jesus. So my word to you, Christian, is keep doing what you're doing. I'm not suggesting, look, I've seen all you guys over the last three weeks. I'm pretty sure. So I'm not asking you to do anything that you're not doing already. I'm just doing what Peter did with his congregation. I'm reminding you of what you know and what you're practicing. Endeavor to be a church week by week by week. When you can't be here, and some of you miss church because you're teaching kids' church, God bless you. We couldn't do without you, okay? Let me tell you this. The church can't function without you guys. God bless you. And you have to pick up a CD that week. I know that. And you can only listen to an online version that week, and I know that. But when that's not the case, please, can I, please be here. You need it. There's nothing so discouraging to a minister and to the church when there's empty seats. I mean, look, you know the church better than me, and you know that there are a number of seats this morning that are empty. Hey, that doesn't do you any good, does it? It's not doing me any good. Worse, it's not doing those em- the people who may sit in those empty seats perhaps much good either. So here's the thing. Have you, have you, I don't know if you've ever done this. Saturday, send a text to your best friend in the church. So Jerry, I know that's difficult. For who's, got, who's got friends in this church? You must have friends in this church, Lorraine. Send a text to, your, to a friend in this church. Hey, I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Really? I'm looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Can I give you a lift? I heard that you were struggling with, with cars this week. Do you need a lift to church? Let's not just get ourselves here. Let's endeavor to get somebody else here too. Endeavor to be a church week by week. And the final one, 
I want to labor the final one just a little. Be committed to doing what the Bible says. When? Today. Be committed to doing what the Bible says. Today. James 1.22 Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The word preach. You know when you watch TV, uh, yeah, you watch TV, don't you? I watch a bit of TV. The thing about TV is it's designed to entertain you, mostly. It's not necessarily looking for a response from you. I know adverts are, they want you to go and buy a car or a house or whatever else it may be, or a new dress. Uh, but by and large, they're, they're entertaining you, giving you a buzz. The preaching of God's word demands a response every time. Mirella, would you give us a Keith and Lakshmi? Thank you. Keith, by and large, is pretty happy the way he is. He finds Christianity interesting. He feels welcomed and generally affirmed in the church. He even enjoys a good preacher's beat up about sin. He, it makes him feel good and lament how awful the world is and how terrible other people's behavior is out there. He very much wants the person sitting next to him to obey the Bible as well as the people he reads about in the news. But it doesn't occur to him most weeks that he himself needs to be changed by the grace of God. Lakshmi is deeply aware that she needs to change. Every week she is convicted of some way in which she is not like Jesus. It may be the cutting word that slipped out or the jealous thought she harbored or the selfish money she spent. But whatever it is, she comes to the sermon knowing she can't risk staying the same. So when she understands straightforward Bible teaching, she longs to put it into practice. She prays week by week for a heart that responds to God's word with loving, practical obedience. Thank you. Keith is backsliding. Simple. It, well, none of us want to own up to that, but we backslide, I backslide. Keith is backsliding. Lakshmi is progressing on her Christian journey. James tells us, don't just listen, do what it says. Bible talks are not. Look, there may be a bit of humor at your expense, but it's not a comedy show. You know, I've, I've listened to preachers. I thought, what? What on earth? is going on here. Maybe you're thinking that about me, right? What on earth is going on here? We don't want comedians. I don't care if you've got the gift of the gab. We want people to teach God's word so that there's a response, so that we respond to it, so that it changes us. Parable of the sower, eight, Luke 8, 15, the, the, the seed that fell on good soil stands, good soil that stands for uh, those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and persevere and produce a crop. The word does something to their hearts. We quoted it to the youngsters earlier. It's going to come up on the screen. The next one, please. Denise, 
Matthew 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and, and this is the turning point, the crucial turning point, puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Preaching is designed to produce a crop. It's designed to change me. And let me tell you this, if you, if you, I want to tell you this. When I'm preparing sermons and when I'm preaching sermons, the first person he must impact, transform, turn upside down, break down and humble is the preacher. It has to start there. Otherwise, otherwise I'm disqualified to preach. But beyond that, it must, it must transform God's people, the hearers. He's designed to do that. Preaching God's word is a device that's designed to produce an effect. Paul, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. They, they stand uh, as, as cemetery, lovely. Look, the four of them, teaching is about what we should be doing, rebuking, uh, what we should believe, rebuking is what we shouldn't believe. Correcting is what we should be doing, Training in righteousness, correcting is what we shouldn't be doing. Training in righteousness is, is suggesting what we should be doing. What we should be believing, what we shouldn't be believing. What we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing. The Bible homes in on all that. That is what's going on. This really is not about making me feel good and for very often you will go away and I will go away not feeling good about the sermon because it's teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's changing my behavior and conduct. It's changing who I am. It's changing my life. I don't, do you drink wine, Debbie? Are you, yeah, have you, do you ever been to a wine tasting session? Yeah. Tell us, what, 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 do you, what do you do? If you go to a wine tasting session, what are you doing? Just give us a detail. What do you do? You, you, sorry, Taste the same thing. But what would you, what's the action? What do you do when you're tasting it? Yes. Celine? Smell, smell it? Yes? Smell and swirl. I think that's good. Yeah? <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. A wine connoisseur. So I've heard. Okay, <laughs> right. And then you take a sip? Yeah. Then you, you swirl it. Yeah, and then what do you do with it? You turn it <laughs> <down>. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I know. <laughs> I, I do it every second Monday. <laughs> there you go, I like that. So you swirl it, sniff it, you taste it and spit it out. That is not how we deal with the Bible. We swallow. We drink. We consume. It works through us. It transforms us from the inside out. Look, I never like to give the devil a lot of glory, but I want to mention him twice, once now, and then once in a little bit. Look, have you ever thought about this? Is the devil a Christian? 
No. No. You, you look at me, Pamela, like, obviously not. Like, are you silly, Montez? <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm going to get to that. Good one, Morag. Okay, why is he not a Christian? Okay, why? Tell me why. Somebody tell me why. How do you know that the devil is not a Christian? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like this. Look, do you know this? The devil prays more than you pray. Read Job. What's, what's Jesus? What's the devil doing with God? He's talking to him, praying. The devil prays more than any one of us in this room. The devil reads the Bible more than any person in this room. How do I know that? How do I know that he knows the Bible better than any person on this planet? He quotes it. He's an expert quoter of Scripture. And isn't it? It may well be. Yeah, you're right, Jerry. And the final one, I know the devil attends church more than any person in this building. And I can tell you for sure, he was here before you got here, Pamela, this morning. He was here before you guys arrived this morning. Preparing the ground. Before you began setting this building up for worship, he was here scheming how he could destroy this gathering. So the devil prays more than you, reads the Bible more than you, attends church more than, you, more than you. How do I know he's not a Christian then? Because he does not obey the Bible. He does not do what he says. That's the quintessential difference. See, how do I know I'm a Christian? I get asked this all the time. Look, I know the Bible. I go to church. I, I even preach. This is how I know I'm a Christian. I obey. Well, I endeavor to obey the Bible. You see, it's not enough to know it. It's not enough to hear it. We have to do what it says. Be committed to doing what the Bible says. Otherwise, otherwise, we have no assurance that we've got a better future than the devil. How about that one, hey? Unless we're endeavoring to obey the Bible, we have no assurance that our future is any different to the devil. Obey the Bible. Let's be committed to doing what the Bible says. Semicolon. Today. Today. Procrastination. I want to suggest, friends, is perhaps the devil's greatest piece, single piece of arsenal. Some of you may have heard this. This is the second time I'm going to mention the devil this morning. The devil, he's got his uh, demons and they're on an interview for a new job. Okay, uh, The job is to destroy, uh, so this young Guy has got converted, and, and, and the job of this demon is to destroy the progress of this Christian. And so he interviews three demons, and he says, look, you know, I'm going to give you this job on the basis of, of, of your answer to this question. Okay, here's a question. How would you uh, disturb and destroy the progress of this Christian? So the first demon says, this is what I'll do. I would encourage him not to go to church. And the devil says, you're not having the job. It's too obvious. You won't succeed. He'll know that's just wrong. 
It won't work. Out. The second one goes, oh, no, I know what I'll do. I will tell him not to be prayerful or engage with the Bible. No, that's not going to work either. He knows. He's just got converted. He knows he's, he needs to be in prayer. He knows he needs to engage with the Bible. Out. And the third demon is this, and says, it says this, listen to this. He says, I'll tell him to read his Bible regularly, to be in prayer regularly, and to be in church regularly. But start next week. But start next week. Procrastination is the greatest single piece of arsenal that our adversary uses against the church. You see, the devil doesn't care one iota about great plans, whether personally to be super duper spiritual. Great plans. I'm going to read the Bible in the whole. I'm going to, this year, I'm going to read the whole Bible. He doesn't care about that plan. He doesn't, and leaders, he doesn't care about our plans for, for great vision. He doesn't get one iota about vision that a leadership team of a church and a church may have, so long as it's always about tomorrow. He can deal with vision for tomorrow. He can deal with my aspirations to be spiritual tomorrow. He doesn't care one bit. So long as it's always tomorrow. Because tomorrow never comes. There is no time, Christian, like now. This very and specific moment. And my time is up. I need to finish. I want to just say this to you, friends, that there's no time like now. Deuteronomy 30. See, I set before you today life and prosperity. I command you today, Psalm 95, today if you hear God speak. Let me close here. Whatever we've heard today will have absolutely no value whatsoever if our response to it is, I'm going to do that from tomorrow. Can I challenge us right now? I'm going to call the music group back up, please. Would you, would you take your position? And I want to challenge you right now. I want to challenge myself. That if God has spoken to you about something in your life, to not even wait till this meeting is finished, but to right now speak to Jesus in your heart and say, that is what I'm doing now. That is what I'm going to instill in my life now. And make it the pattern of your life from now till the next time we meet. God bless you. Listen carefully to the Bible as it's preached. Amen.